0: You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the Rand Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee.
1: And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from Rand's latest research and commentary. It's October 16th.
0: Russian propaganda on social media is generating strong partisan reactions that may intensify political divisions among Americans. However, Facebook users are less likely to hit the like button if they learn that a post is part of a foreign campaign. These are the key takeaways from a new RAND study of online election interference. In a randomized controlled trial of more than 1,500 Facebook users, RAND researchers tested memes that Russia actually used in 2016. Some of the study participants were shown a short media literacy video or a label on the meme indicating that the content came from Russia. The researchers' goal was to see if such interventions would help prevent the spread of foreign propaganda. Notably, Americans who fell into partisan groups on both the left and the right reacted in the strongest and most partisan ways. Lead author Todd Helmes says that this isn't surprising. Left and right-wing audiences are particular targets of Russian propaganda efforts— So they naturally have a big reaction, he says. The propaganda speaks to them. But people in these partisan groups were also the most likely to change their minds about liking a meme if it was revealed to have come from Russia. As Helmus puts it, a big reaction also means a lot of room for improvement in terms of learning how to think critically about the source of a particular news item and the consequences of passing it along to others. This report is part of our ongoing series on the threat of online foreign interference in U.S. elections. It may be the first study to test the effect of media literacy and labeling interventions on how Americans react to actual Russian memes. The results show that Russian propaganda works as it's intended to, eliciting strong partisan responses that may help Moscow exacerbate divisions in America but the study also shows that media literacy interventions have the potential for positive change.
1: The alleged plots to kidnap the governors of Michigan and Virginia that were reported recently underscore the possibility of domestic terrorism this election season. Brand's Brian Michael Jenkins, a renowned terrorism expert, wrote this week about the possibilities that political violence of this kind, or worse, could come to fruition. Anxiety in the U.S. is palpable, and it's understandable, Jenkins says. Americans are deeply divided. The political system is polarized. Bizarre conspiracy theories have entered mainstream discourse. And there seem to be messaging efforts designed to delegitimize the elections. Jenkins admits that no one knows what will happen next, but the likelihood and nature of any political violence depends on several variables. For example, How obvious will the election outcome be, and how soon will we know it? And the biggest factor may be whether the loser concedes. Jenkins also warns that, predictably, there will be unpredictable events, partly because fewer sources of information are accepted as credible across the politically polarized electorate. Some voters may assume a sinister explanation behind every development during this election season. Under such fraught circumstances, even a minor event can have far-reaching repercussions. It's true that a tranquil election is unlikely, says Jenkins, but, quote, The future of the country depends more on the good sense of its people than of its political leadership. Regardless of political differences, most Americans are tired of the political pandemonium and want to get on with their lives, especially in the shadow of COVID-19.
0: Colleges have long had insufficient resources to meet students' mental health needs. For example, a 2016 RAND study of almost 40,000 students on California's public college campuses found that nearly one in five students reported serious mental health issues, but only 20% of them were engaging in mental health services. Now, the pandemic has likely made things worse, but according to RAND's Lisa Songtag Padilla, there are at least four ways that colleges can help struggling students. First, they could expand remote therapy. A 2018 RAND study found that more than 60% of college students with mental health needs were open to using online mental health services. And given the shift to almost exclusive telehealth care amid COVID-19, this number is likely even higher now. Second, colleges could establish partnerships with community-based providers. This approach could help students get connected to the care they need, particularly on campuses that don't have a student health center. Third, colleges can work toward reducing the stigma around mental health issues. By improving the campus climate around mental health, colleges can increase the likelihood that students will seek help if they need it. Fourth, and finally, colleges can engage with local and national crisis centers. Most crisis centers are nonprofit, and many use trained volunteers as well as mental health professionals. Establishing partnerships at the campus level and providing financial support to these organizations would ensure an ongoing resource for students. Taking these steps could go a long way to helping students who are facing mental health challenges during the pandemic, and it could help support their health and well being long after COVID 19 has passed.
1: What role should allies and partners play in U.S. national security? Rand's Christine Wormuth recently testified remotely before the House Armed Services Committee to help answer this question. Overall, she says the bipartisan tradition of valuing alliances and partnerships should continue. It made sense in the past, and it makes sense going forward, says Wormuth. She also spoke about what share of defense costs should be covered by America's allies.
0: It's very important that the European members of NATO continue to make progress towards the two percent GDP pledge in twenty twenty four. and but but, I think you know we we oversimplify and sort of focus in a myopic way on that two percent number. Right. It's as important as how much countries are spending is what they're spending that money on. Uh, So I'm as interested as seeing Germany, for example, you know, go from, I think, about 1.2% of GDP to the 2% mark, but I'm also focused on, are they spending that defense money on the right kinds of capabilities that we need to be able to deter Russia, for example?
1: Wormuth also explained the need for Washington to have more robust and detailed dialogues with some of its closest allies, such as the UK and Europe, and Australia and Japan. These dialogues should not only focus on conventional capabilities, she said, but also coordinate on AI and cyber innovations.
0: The U.S. electric grid is essential to national security. It's also expensive. That's why public and private utility companies have taken steps to make the grid leaner by reducing redundancies, minimizing staff overhead, and streamlining supply chains. But according to RAND experts, recent disasters such as wildfires, hurricanes, and the pandemic have stretched the grid to a breaking point. And so it may be time to consider making the grid fatter by increasing redundancies employing more staff, and warehousing more supplies. These investments could help reduce the potential for outages, possibly avoid costs associated with upgrading the grid down the road, and help utilities react more quickly when disaster does strike. This is especially important as climate change continues to intensify natural hazards like storms and fires. And although a fatter grid would likely cost more, safety and resilience may be more important than running lean.
1: RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org podcast. We'll see you next week.